We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4 now. Been in chapter 3 so long, I keep wanting to say chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And tonight's verses will be in verse 11 through verse 16. So to give you a quick recap of the book so far, we're studying 1 Timothy and we're seeing that God has specifically arranged and designed the church to operate in a certain way, to operate as a fortress of the truth. And because he wants the church to operate in this way, we should be careful with how we structure the church, how we operate in the church. And he's given us specific instructions in that, how men and women are to operate in the church. We looked at two scriptural offices. That's the office of overseer, elder, uh, pastor. Those are all kind of the same term. And the office of deacon. So there's two main offices in the church, basically pastors and deacons. And they, we saw that there are negative consequences when the church doesn't stand for truth. And there are positive consequences when we do stand for truth. So this week, as we kind of push forward, we're going to ask the question, what does Paul want Timothy to do with all of these instructions? I'm going to go ahead and give you now kind of the outline for tonight. There are three specific things that I see in this text that Paul wants Timothy to do with all of these instructions. So if you've got your Bible open, you can follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 11 through 16. Here's what it says. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the very first thing. What does Paul expect Timothy to do with all of these instructions? Number one, as a pastor of the church, he is told to command and teach these things. So we talked about this a little bit last time. These things is everything that he's instructing them so far. So looking at how the church is this pillar of the truth and how we should have these overseers and these deacons serving the church and protecting the church's doctrine and devotion. All of these things is what he's talking about. And he instructs him. We, we think it's kind of odd maybe reading it. Command and teach these things. That seems obvious. Well, these two words command and teach are different. They have two different understandings. To teach is to impart knowledge. It's to share knowledge with someone so that they may gain knowledge that you have, maybe that they didn't have. You teach and impart knowledge in that way. The goal of teaching is that someone might learn. But to command is to instruct, to act. To give a command, you expect an action to take place based on the information in the command. So, for instance... When I'm talking to my kids at night and it's time to go to bed and they've got all the tents set up in the living room, I might take an opportunity to teach them about, well, look, it's so dirty and now we can't access it and everything. And I get done and it would be really good for this to be clean. That is a teaching. And they might look at me and say, oh, OK, and then walk off. 
versus a command where I say, okay, you know, it's dirty. We need to, let's clean it up. Now I'm wanting fruit from the command. I'm really wanting to say, oh, okay, dad. Yes, sir. You're the greatest. And go and pick it up and put it away. So a command, the goal of a command is obedience. The NASB translates this first word. Instead of command, it translates it prescribe. It's the idea of a doctor giving a prescription. You're sick. You go to the doctor. There's something wrong. It's like, Garrett, you got this lingering cough. I don't know what's going on. Here, try taking this now. Well, whenever I go to the pharmacist to get it filled, I don't want the pharmacist to show me the medicine and teach me about the medicine and then put it on the shelf. I got a prescription that is commanding me to do something. Hey, take this medicine at these times. And if I don't act on that instruction, it's not going to do any good. So that's the idea here behind command, prescribe, teach these things. So combining these two ideas, Timothy is to do two things. Number one, relay information to the church. Number two, call the church to act upon that information. Both are vital. You can't act on information you don't have. And if you have information, the purpose is to act on it. So they both go together. This pops back up in verse 13. We're going to do a little bit of back and forth uh, tonight. So if you'll skip ahead to 13, you'll see the same thing. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So there are three things in view here. Public Scripture reading, exhortation, or this commanding, and teaching. And remember, all of this is in the context of the local church. All three of these things should be taking place. If you'll notice on Sunday mornings, we've gotten to where in the conclusion of the service, what are we doing? Devoting ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Before the sermon, what do we do? We stand up and we say the Scriptures out loud. And some people may think, oh, that's great for your church to do. Well, the reason we do that is because of verses like this. It's literally devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. We take that serious. The Bible says to do that. We want, we want to do it. Now, it doesn't say how to do that or what it would look like. But it should happen in the church in some form or fashion. Well, sometimes what happens is the church will err by excluding one of these things. Either the public reading of scripture or exhortation or teaching. And it's dangerous because each of these needs the other ones in order to be correctly practiced. The public reading of scripture is where the information of God's word is revealed. It's read. It's revealed. Then you've got the teaching where the information is explained. Things are broken down in the text so we can understand. And then you've got the exhortation where the information is obeyed. So at each step, this information is is revealed, it's explained, it's obeyed. If you remove any one of those links in the chain, the chain no longer exists. It, It doesn't function the way that it should. If you take away Scripture... Well, then the church is simply going to obey the whims of the preacher. And some churches have done that. There was an example that I think H.B. Charles gave, but I think it's a famous example. It's been used other times of this church. And in front of the church, it says, uh, preach Christ crucified, I think on this big, nice marble thing. And over time, these vines grow up and kind of obscure the last word. So that it no longer read preach Christ crucified, but it was just preach Christ. And then over time, more vines grew up and obscured the second word. So it was no longer preach Christ. It was just preach 
And eventually that church would die out and it would overgrow and it didn't say anything at all. And sometimes this is what we do in churches is we remove the importance of Scripture. Well, then the church is just going to obey the whims of the preacher. And when some other preacher comes in, it's going to radically rock everybody's world when they have to suddenly snap and go a different direction. If you take away the exhortation, the, the command to obey, then the church becomes lazy and ineffective. We're just gathering here just for the joy of listening to good preaching. Amen, brother. Very good. And you get up and you go home and you wait for next Sunday to do it again and hear more good preaching. I hope at this church that's what your thought is, is you're going to hear good preaching. If you take away teaching, then the church becomes inefficient as it scrambles to take scripture and obey it, but not knowing what that might look like. And coming to hard scriptures and saying, well, I don't know. Well, let's just try this. Okay, let's do it. So we need each of these things in place. In our American culture, we run into a common problem when it comes to command and teach these things. The problem is that we as American Christians really like being taught, I believe, way more than we like being commanded. We really don't like to be told what we ought to do. It's built in our blood. The founding of our nation was literally, you can't tell me what to do anymore. It's built within us. We like to know a lot more than we like to do. We really like it when someone else can do it for us. We're willing to pay for that. We like good teaching until we're expected to do something about it. We like being told that church membership matters until someone from the church confronts us about not being in church. Then we don't like that. We like being told that we should store God's word in our hearts until someone tries to create a system of accountability to help us do that. I really liked it when it was just taught. I don't like having to actually do it. We like being taught, but we don't so much like being commanded. That's too legalistic. So painting it this way, I want to kind of change the perspective And look at this from Timothy's perspective. As a pastor of the church, he has to command the church to do things taught in Scripture, knowing that many of those people might not want to be told what to do by some young preacher. And I'm getting that from here in verse 12. In verse 12 it says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example. So Paul knew exactly what Timothy was going to encounter in the church. Timothy, as a young pastor who was teaching the church, would be met with opposition from some people who would use his age to despise his instructions. Well, what does this guy know? He's not that old. He he doesn't know what I know. And Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody despise your teaching. Instead, set this example. And it's for this reason that I think verse 13 is important here. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. It's not Timothy's instructions that he's teaching. It's God's instructions. 
He's publicly reading the scripture. He's saying, here's what God's word says. Thus saith the Lord. The church says, amen. He explains it, commands them to do it, and he's done. If you have a problem with it at that point, take it up where the problem lies. Now, sometimes this is taken out of, out of proportion. And you have pastors that teach from God's word, but they're not teaching it rightly. And no one's holding them accountable. And they will use this as a springboard for their opinion. We ought not to listen to that and to say, well, preacher, you know, he said this, we need to do it. That's not the case. What we need to do is open up our word whenever someone else is preaching. Like right now, I hope you have your word open. And as I point to verses and I'm explaining and pointing out words that you're going, okay, yeah, I see where he's getting that. Yeah, that's, that's right there. That's perfect. That's excellent. That's how, we, that's how we check those things out. So this leads us to Paul's second expectation. The first one was to command and teach these things. That's what he wants Timothy to do. Second thing he wants Timothy to do, demonstrate these things. So going back to verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So instead of worrying about how other people perceived his abilities due to his age, Timothy is told to demonstrate what he teaches. So Timothy isn't commanding other people to do what he isn't willing to do himself. He sets the bar the same height for himself as he does for everybody else. There's the bar. And it's not that pastors... Have this extra high bar and everyone else, okay, down here. Pastors will be held accountable. But there's no two bars. There is the bar. And we are all to strive after that. He sets the same bar for himself that God's word sets for all believers. And Paul reiterates this two more times. First in verse 15, he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your progress. Timothy isn't just instructed to do the things he himself says. He's instructed to do so so that the church may see his progress. It is a visual learning. And I know for me, sometimes it helps me to see something. The other night, maybe it was last night, uh, Rodney came over and helped me put some lights in. Uh, in our um, in our kitchen, there was some lights. It was the wrong color, so we had to change them out. Well, I have little to no knowledge on that, and so Rodney was explaining the mechanism for it. And I'll tell you what really helped me is for him to get up and to release the trap and pull it down and show the wires. And once I was able to see that, it clicked. I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. This is great. And I think it's the same with all of us. We need to see someone living out these things. And this is what Timothy was to be. We learn not just by hearing, but by seeing, that's the example, and by doing. And sometimes what we do is we reduce the number of ways that we receive instruction. Instead of hearing and seeing and doing, we just hear and see and we don't do. Or sometimes instead of hearing, seeing, and doing, we hear and we try to do, but we're not looking at other people to see how they're doing it. I think this is the beauty behind the design. <coughs> excuse me. The beauty behind the design of the church is that we all come together and I see someone else living something out that I would not have done that that way. But you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I should have been doing it like that the whole time. 
When we talk about memorizing Ephesians, I, that's not original with me. Someone else came up with that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. Let's, let's try it and see. The church is designed to work together and to build itself up in that way. So that's the first place we see it reiterated. The second place it's reiterated is in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. Persist in this. Timothy's responsibility as a pastor is to command and teach these things and then to demonstrate these things. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 25, uh, we see this fleshed out a little bit and uh, really applicable for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 through 25. I'm just going to read this for you. Listen to what it says. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers, overseer of your souls. So in Jesus' suffering, he left an example for us. We are commanded to endure evil when we do good because Jesus endured evil when he did good. That's the line of reasoning there. He left an example that we might follow the example. And what does that look like? Enduring suffering, not reviling in return, not threatening, entrusting ourselves to God. And the statement that ties this together with 1 Timothy is here in verse 25. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus is pastoring us in that moment as we look to his example. He is the overseer, like we're talking about in 1 Timothy. He is the shepherd. That's literally the word pastor. That's what that means of our souls. So Jesus leaves us an example as our pastor Likewise, Timothy is to demonstrate these things and leave an example as a pastor. Our lives and what we do will verify what we say we believe. And it's especially true for the pastor of a church. So for this reason, Timothy is instructed to keep a close watch on what he teaches and how he lives. Here's the third expectation. He's to command and teach these things, to demonstrate these things. And then number three prioritize these things. I'm going to read through all of these commands. You can try to glance through and follow, uh, but I'm going to read through every command. Listen to how frequently in these, what, five, six verses we have here, listen to how frequently this comes up. Command, teach, set an example, read scripture publicly, exhort, 
teach, don't neglect your gift, practice, immerse yourself in these things, watch your life, watch your teaching, persist in this. Over and over and over, it's the command, teach, practice, read the scriptures, exhort them, command these things, immerse yourself in this. What this communicates is priority. In Paul's mind, this is the priority. This is your job. Listen to the emotional weight of these commands. I'm going to go back through. Listen to the emotional weight of this. Devote yourself. Do not neglect the gift that was prophesied over you. Immerse yourself. Keep a close watch. Persist in this. You will save yourself and your hearers. What this communicates is priority. Priority. One cannot be devoted, mindful, observant, persistent, an example, a teacher, and immersed without giving the object of your attention the utmost priority in your life. You can't do all of those things if that is not your ultimate priority. If it takes second place, you're not going to be devoted, mindful, observant, persistent, an example, a teacher, and immersed in these things. It's not going to happen. It takes priority. Likewise, the pastors of a church can't do all these things if they can't prioritize these things. I want to draw particular attention to verse 14 here says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul says that Timothy was gifted to do these things. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives gifts to people in the church to build up the church. He's gifted the church with apostles, evangelists, prophets, the teachers, the pastors, all of these things that the church might be built up. So likewise, Timothy was gifted by God to lead the church. How was that gifting recognized? It says, it was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The prophecy did not create the gift. God created the gift. God gave Timothy a gift, and this council of elders confirmed by laying hands on Timothy and praying and acknowledging his gift, that's the prophesying, they confirmed Timothy's gift that God gave him. This is basically an ordination service in Scripture. It's an ordination. That's what it is. Paul's saying, you were ordained for this. And I want to go ahead and nudge right here. Wink, wink. A council of elders did this. Just saying. I had someone the other day say, well, I just don't even see it in Scripture. There it is. Your translation may say Presbytery, if you have New American Standard. Same thing. Same thing. It's the word for elder there. It's just worded differently. So God gifted Timothy 
to do these things. And the pastors of the church all gathered around and they laid their hands on him and they confirmed you were called out for ministry. So Paul reminds Timothy, says, remember when they did that? You better not neglect that calling. You were called out by God for this. You better do it. It's a sobering warning. If he fails to do this, he is wasting the gift of God, which was intended to be used in these ways. So what do we need to do with this? We're not all pastors of the church. What do we, the church, do with this? Number one, we must view the church as a training ground rather than a pastime. Once a week, Kristen will come up to me and Stacy. She gets one time a week. It's always on the weekends, not on the school night. And she'll say, is it movie night? Okay, it's movie night. Let's sit down. And she always, we get into the movie. Halfway through the movie, she pauses it. She says, can we have popcorn? Okay. And so we've got this whirly pop. It's like a weird pot thing. It's got a little handle on it. You put the oil and the seeds in there. You close it. And then you just kind of rotate this little thing on the end of it and it spins around on the inside and cooks the kernels and it pops and everything. It's the whole experience. Like, it, it's just popcorn to me. But it's the whole experience of doing all the things to get the popcorn and watch the movie. The, the value of that is the entertainment and the, oh, let's just enjoy the, let's just sit here and just absorb and enjoy it. We're not training ourselves. When we watch Marvel superhero movies, we're not training ourselves to fight the world in suits of metal. That's not a training program. It is purely entertainment value. The church is literally the opposite. That is not the church. The church is not, though I love the food tonight, is not here to just satisfy me and give me a positive experience. It's to train me to live out my Christ-likeness. And we need to view the church this way. Many look forward to church to hear good preaching, but we really need to look forward in the church to exercising our God-given gifts. Don't come just to listen, come to do. Starting at the beginning of the year, we're going to go back to having Sunday night church. And I can almost guarantee you it's going to be different than what you've done before, because I don't know what you did before. It's going to be a little bit different, but I want you to know that we're not going back to Sunday night church just for the sake of Sunday night church. If that's the case, we're just wasting our time. We're going back to Sunday night church so that we might be freed up to do more things at our church. I want to have intentional times of just prayer at a prayer meeting. Where the church is praying. I want to have us in here investing in that generation over there. It's really hard to do all of these different things on just Sunday morning for a couple of hours and then Wednesday night for a couple of hours. So we're going to start back Sunday night church. And we're going to structure things a little bit differently. And I hope that before that time comes, you start asking God now, God... What is it you want me to do at this church? How, what can I do? I want to do something. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody can handle preschool kids. 
I sure cannot handle preschool kids. In 10 minutes, I'm dead. I'm laying on the ground. They're all jumping on me like a trampoline. That's all I can do. I can do that well. That's just not my gifting. We all have a different gifting to be used somehow in the church. Some of us are prayer warriors. I've heard you talk about each other this way. Oh, so-and-so, that person is a prayer warrior. I've, had, I've walked in here and sitting right over here on a Wednesday night at about four-something, someone sitting right there just praying over the things that night. That's what that person's gifting is, is prayer. Let's get an avenue for that. So the whole point of all this is, what should we do with this? Number one, in light of this command and teach, we should view church as a training ground rather than just a pastime. Number two, we need to reset the way that we think about pastors versus church members. The very things that we expect pastors to do are the very things that church members ought to do and vice versa. I was at a doctor's appointment the other day, and my doctor, great guy, I'm really looking forward to striking up a relationship with him. He had used some language in front of me. He didn't know I was a pastor at a church. I don't usually openly reveal that thing. It's really funny, actually, whenever they find out, and it happened here, he had used some language, and he had said something about, so, so why do you move so much? I said, oh, well, like usually I've been at a church for a few years, and I'll go to the next church, and they call me into this time. Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. And it's almost like there's this different level of expectation. Like, it's okay for the average person to use that kind of language, the average Christian, but not for a pastor. He's like a super Christian. For him, it's not okay, but for us, it's flexible. We should feel that way about any Christian we're around. That bar is the same. I think that some of us have relax the reins a little bit on our pursuit of holiness at the fear of sounding legalistic. We're forgiven in Christ. No matter what you do, if you were in Christ, you're forgiven. That should free you up to want to be more holy. You can't, you can't fail and lose it. So run. Be holy. And when you fail, say, God, thank you for forgiveness. And then try it again. We can't lose heart on these things. If a pastor shouldn't do it, maybe you shouldn't do it either. If you see your pastor acting a certain way, you should probably strongly consider acting that way as well because you know that they are trying to be an example to the flock. Is your pastor doing something that you're like, oh, why does he do that? Oh, well. Slow down and ask, why is he doing that? Should I be doing that? Maybe you shouldn't, but maybe you should. That's the point. Number three, weigh very carefully what your pastor says and does. Verse 16 here is a sobering warning and reminder. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy will witness salvation in other people by watching his own life and his own teaching. This is the secret to evangelism. If you've ever poured over the scriptures, what's the secret to evangelism? This is it. It isn't a bigger building or fancy events. It's a church that prioritizes right teaching and practice. 
The scriptures give a promise here. If you do this, hearers will be saved. Not all of them, but they definitely won't be saved if you're not doing this. Keep a close watch on your teaching and on your life so that you and your hearers will be saved. Therefore, if your pastor teaches something or you see him living in a certain way or or speaking a certain way, don't just write it off. Strongly consider his way of life and his teaching. One more place in Scripture that reiterates this idea, I think, more clearly is in Hebrews 13, 7. It says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I want to give you a reminder as we close out to be in prayer over this elder amendment that I'm suggesting for us to add to the bylaws. If you have any questions about this, I I hope that you feel like you can come and talk to me about it. I had someone come in this week. Great conversation. This person said, hey, look, I think that this is right on the money. I think the way this is worded is not good in some areas. Here's my suggestions. And you know what? I think I agree with this person. (laughs) Some good points. I I would love to hear if you have those opinions also. Because one thing I did hear from this person specifically is, oh, well, so-and-so thinks this, and so-and-so, I didn't hear any names. So-and-so thinks this, and other people think this, but they're not going to come and talk to you. I hope that that's no one in this room. I can't correct wording on something that I don't know needs to be changed. If this brother hadn't said anything, I'd have thought, well, yeah, it's worded perfect. That's excellent. Well, of course it makes sense to me. I wrote it. <laughs> I need someone else to say, hey, the wording here implies this. Is this what you're meaning? So that I can say, well, no, that's not what I'm meaning by that. And it's, I, can't, I can't read your minds. I can't predict that. We are collectively the church. My vote is one just like everybody else in this room. So I want to hear what you have to say about these things and to talk about these things with me. And I just want to ask you to continue to be in prayer over that, fasting over it. If you're physically able, once a week and pray over it. And uh, I look forward to moving forward as a church and asking the question, should we should we do this? Um, I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. God, would you forgive me for when I treat church like a show or an experience to be had rather than as something that I as a Christ follower am obligated yet desire joyfully to participate in. Would you equip us with gifts? Mobilize us for ministry. Remove from us, Father, the excuses that we give for why we're not serving. Help us to see past these things that the enemy has put in place to cause us to become lazy and apathetic. Equip us through the power of your spirit with power that we might be empowered to do these things through your strength, not our own. 
Father, we are so dependent upon you and we need your word and the guidance and instruction that it offers us. Would you help us to see clearly from your word what it is you expect of us, that we can do it. As you prescribe these things, give us the desire to do those things. Would you help us to be an example of your son as he was an example to us of how we should live? Help us to reflect Christ to everyone who sees us. Help us to prioritize these things, to make them important in our life. Help us to watch over ourselves, our words, our way of living. Father, for me as a pastor of this church, would you help me to watch over my teaching? Would you protect me from error? Would you shine forth in your word as it's proclaimed? Cause me to be faithful so that we as a church can be built up and equipped to live for you and your glory. We love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you so, so much for Jesus that you sent him to bear our sin in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. It's in his great name we pray. Amen.